you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. If you would, please open your Bibles to John chapter 3. We are continuing our study through the Gospel of John. And happily, we are in chapter 3 today. One of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture for those who have lived in the last couple of thousand years. Um, People know this passage, especially because of John 3.16. But this whole thing is so rich that we could spend a long time here. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, this is God's word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it, is, where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And you, do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light, 
because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Why did Nicodemus come at night? Well, he was a busy man. No, he did not want to be seen. He wanted a private meeting with Jesus. His view was a minority opinion within the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling group. And the consensus was Jesus is a danger. He needs to be stopped. And Nicodemus is thinking, this guy is real. He's real. He says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God because no one could perform the miracles, the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Now, what is recorded as Jesus' response is not necessarily the first thing Jesus said. Instead, this is a part of Jesus' response. We don't have the whole exchange here. We have that which the Holy Spirit wanted us to know. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Okay, what's the main point today? The main point is you must be born again in order to see and in order to enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again in order to see and in order to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some churches hardly ever talk about being born again. I mean, it's just something that seems terribly old-fashioned and strange, and so it's just not talked about. Other churches preach continually, you must be born again. You must be born again. Obviously, I would, choosing between those two options, go with the group that's saying you must be born again. My difficulty with many of those churches is that they don't understand that being born again is not the goal. It is the means. Jesus said, you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, before he said that, he said, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't perceive it unless God's spirit gives you new life. Um, How many of you in here have, have been born? Okay. How many of you remember being born? Me either. But I know I was. And, and when my mom was needing to be checked into a hospital for some tests, they were asking her questions, and I was over here trying to handle the business end of it, and, and uh, my mom said, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, excuse me, I need to ask you something. What year were you born? And I said, uh, 1954. And she turned to the fellow who was checking her in and said, 1954. 
I thought, why did they need to know when I was born? Well, the question they'd asked her was, when was the last time you were in a hospital? <laughs> yeah. It had been a long time for her. But see, she remembered my birth. I don't. But I was there. And it was a life-changing experience. I do remember being born again. And I hope that you do too. You don't have to have a memory of a traumatic transition from darkness to light, but here's what has to be the case. You have to be in the light. You can't still be in the darkness. Whether by natural childbirth or C-section, the child has to get out of the darkness into the light. And if you are born of the Spirit, you will no longer be living in darkness. You're going to want to be in the light. And that's what Jesus says. I didn't make that up. Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. It's not, hey, look what I did. It's, hey, everybody, look what God did. That is the testimony of every Christian everywhere in every age. Now, what is the purpose of being born of the Spirit. It's so that you can see and enter into the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Well, there's this little geographically small area uh, called Israel, and, um, and my wife and I and, and uh, several of our kids have had the privilege of going there, and that's, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. That's the kingdom of God. No, no, no. The kingdom of God is not about geography. It is about relationship. It is a relationship with God where you submit yourself gladly to his kingship. Guess who's king in the kingdom of God? In the kingdom of God, God rules and reigns. Now, doesn't God rule and reign everywhere? Yeah, actually he does. But if you are in rebellion against him, you don't see it. You are self-deluded thinking that you can be the boss. You can have it your way. You can do your own thing. McDonald's transformed the food industry. They made it possible to get a burger fast. They quickly rose to preeminence nationally as the number one fast food chain. Somebody decided they wanted their burger chain to grow big. Well, if you're number two and you want to catch up with number one, how do you make Burger King 
a desirable place. You can't just say, hey, we're the king of burgers. Okay? No. We're going to tell the customer that they are king. We're going to give them crowns to wear. They're paper, of course, but they're crowns. And, and they're brightly colored, and, and the children will love it. And our slogan will be, have it your way. Now, they're still number two, I think. At least as far as the burger chains go. But guess what? People ate it up. Literally. The idea that I can get what I want the way I want, when I want, I can walk in there and say, I want it like this, and they'll do it for me. And McDonald's started saying, well, we, we can do that too. Okay? Just tell us what you want. American enterprise is based on the concept that we're going to make people feel like the customer is king. Okay? Because we humans all over the world like the idea of being in charge of our own little universe. And then things have to happen to us in order to bring us to the realization that I'm not in charge. I can't control this. I can't have it my way. I wanted this. Didn't happen. I thought I had it, and it disappeared. Let me tell you something. It's not just American enterprise. It goes all the way back to the first temptation, which was also with food. Satan said, it's okay to eat that fruit. You'll be like God. That's the temptation. We want to be in charge. We want to have it our way. We want to do our thing. Back in the book of Numbers, we have the story that Jesus refers to here. Where the people, having been rescued from slavery by God, complained they wanted to go back to Egypt. He said, we're miserable out here and we don't like the food. That's really what they said. Amazing how many times food occurs in Scripture as an issue. It's an issue for a lot of people. Did you know that a lot of us have food issues? We do, going all the way back to the garden. And the Israelites said, we, this food, we're miserable and this food is disgusting. They didn't like what God had provided. Instead of thanking God that every day he provided food for them, it was like, I'm tired of this. When are we going to have something different? This is awful. Well, God didn't like their complaining, and so he sent venomous snakes among them that bit the people, and they became sick and were dying. And the people at that point said, we were wrong. We're really sorry. Uh, please pray for us, Moses. Moses prayed, and God told Moses to do something strange. God told Moses, you make a bronze serpent on a pole, and you hold it up where the people can see it. And if they will look at it, they will live. And those who looked at it lived. You want to know what we have to do in order to be saved? Just look to Jesus. That's what Jesus says. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Why would Jesus compare his dying on the cross to a serpent on a pole? The serpent, Old and New Testament, is typically the bad guy. You know? I mean, that's like a picture of, of evil or even of Satan. Why would Jesus compare himself to that? Because Jesus knew what was going to happen. It wasn't just that Jesus would die on the cross, which is a horrible, horrible thing. It's that all of our sin, all of our guilt would be on him. The Bible says, he who knew no sin, Jesus never sinned. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's not that Jesus sinned by going to the cross. It's that Jesus bore our sins. He became guilty of everything you've ever done wrong. Everything I've ever done wrong. All that guilt was placed on him. And he died. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. He died in our place, taking our punishment that we deserved. And in order to be saved, you've got to look to him. In obedient faith, you look to him as the one who saves. So, Nicodemus didn't get all this. Jesus' disciples didn't get all this. They would later. After the resurrection, Jesus goes back and takes them through the scriptures and opens their hearts and their minds and they understand and they're like, so that's what that's about. Jesus is the one who died on the cross and he did it so that you could be saved. That's why I owe him everything. I don't owe him a lot. I owe him everything. So, Jesus tells Nicodemus, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, God has to give you new birth. Nicodemus is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. All of us in this room have been born of the flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And you've got to be born of the spirit in order to perceive and in order to enter the kingdom of God. In order to come into a relationship that recognizes the truth about yourself and God and says, I want you to rule and reign over me. I want you to be in charge. I want your will to be done. It's not a grudging, <sighs> okay, have it your way. No, it's the recognition that God's way is infinitely better than anything we could come up with. God's will for your life, Romans 12, in light of God's mercy, you need to offer up your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice, completely giving him everything 
holy, acceptable to him. That's intelligent worship. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can demonstrate in real time that God's will for your life is good and acceptable and perfect. Perfect. God's will for your life is perfect. Now, you either believe that or you don't. But if you believe it, doesn't it make sense to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not asking you to please do what I want, when I want, the way I want. I'm telling you this is what I want, but please cause your will to be done. You know what's best, Lord. Have your way. So, all of this is possible because of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever trusts in him would not perish, would not be destroyed by God's wrath, but would have everlasting life. The reason why God sent his son into the world, verse 17, was not to condemn the world, Jesus lives a perfect life and says, this is what you were supposed to do. You didn't, you're all going to hell. He could have said that. God could have sent his son into the world just to show us the perfection of humanity, cause us all to realize we fall miserably short, and now we understand why we're all going into the lake of fire. But that isn't why he came. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Look and live. Lift up your eyes and see Jesus there on that cross for you. The fact of the matter is, those who do not believe, it doesn't say will be condemned. Jesus says they're condemned already. You go to the end of this chapter, which we'll see next time, God willing. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son, verse 36, has eternal life. You know what the word believes there? can also be translated as obeys. Americans don't generally use that translation. But whoever believes slash obeys in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects, can also be translated does not obey the Son, will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Remains on him. Ephesians 2 says all of us were dead in trespasses and sins. That was our condition. We weren't in danger of spiritual death. We were spiritually dead. Dead men walking. And God, in his mercy, sent his son so that we could be born again and enter into his kingdom. A relationship with him as our Lord and Savior. If you have not yet 
put your trust in Jesus, I plead with you to do so. While you have breath, while you have the opportunity, if you say, well, I just don't see it, then ask God to please open your eyes. Ask God to show you the truth. If you say, well, I, I, would, I would do that if I knew it was true, then ask him to show you if it's true. Because he's not just a concept. He is the living God. And he is here right now speaking to you. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.